Scripture focus this morning is the last half of Galatians 15, beginning with verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in humbly love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires, And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Thanks, Vern. Good morning. It is good to be home. You probably didn't know I was gone. (laughs) Rod and I had the opportunity this last week to go to a conference, a pastor's conference, Bible teaching conference with some 3,300 of us in Chicago, and it was exciting just to hear the word taught. It was an emphasis on preaching the word, expositing the word, and an emphasis on God's grace, his goodness to us. When I go away like that, typically what happens, and it happened this week again, is uh, I'm encouraged in a couple of ways. One, by how big God is how he's working in amazing ways all over this great country of ours, and in fact, all over the world, changing lives, the words being taught, good things are happening. Over, well over half of these pastors were probably in their 20s, low 30s. So these are young pastors that are anxious to teach God's word. And so I'm just encouraged by that. But secondly, when I go away like that, I, I'm always glad to come home because it just increases my thankfulness that I get to serve here among you, that we're a church that's committed to the word and committed to God's grace, committed to teaching truth and helping equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And, you know, we're not a perfect church. There is no such thing. But I just admit I'm thankful, thankful to be here among you. Well, in the next uh, few months, Jeannie and I will be sending off our fourth child to school. college graduating in the next month and sending him off and 
You know, it's a little bit scary every time. You'd think by now it would be easy. It doesn't get any easier. And part of the challenge of that is you're sending them off to freedom, right? At least while they're at home, you have a certain amount of control. But when you send them off to freedom, you know it's risky because you don't know what kind of choices they're going to make. Will they become wise, independent people of faith who follow our Lord? Or will they use their freedom to make bad choices, to turn to destructive behavior, to live a harmful, destructive lifestyle? You see, freedom is always risky. Because if you give someone freedom, they have the freedom to choose. But we also know that if you keep trying to control your children as they go into college, that you do great damage to them as well. Because how are they going to become independent followers of Jesus Christ who know how to make choices unless you give them that freedom? See, that's the challenge, isn't it? Freedom is risky. It always is. Because when you give people freedom, they might misuse it, and some do. They might use it as an opportunity for license, to live without restraint, to not follow what's good. Well, Paul, in the book of Galatians up to this point, he has been reminding us over and over and over again that when Christ came, he came to set us free. We are to live in freedom. We're granted freedom. We don't have to live by law, by performance, by trying to do the right thing to please God. In fact, we are set free from that. He's made very clear that the law, trying to do the right thing, can't save us. But not only that, the law is a terrible guide for living the Christian life. We shouldn't try to perform for God as believers because that's enslaving, it's destructive, it's harmful to us in the long run to try to live by performance. So he says, keep your freedom in Christ. But as I said, freedom can be abused. And so in our passage today, he gives us the danger of freedom. He also gives us the true purpose of freedom. And he tells us how to live in freedom in a way that truly leads to life, to the real freedom we all long for. So let's dig in together. But let me pray first as we prepare. Lord, open our hearts right now by your Spirit to your Word. I just sense, Lord, that this is one of the key passages, certainly in this book and and maybe in the whole Bible, for us to hear and understand. So, Lord, do your work in each of our hearts. As one preacher prayed this week that I heard, I've assembled the wood. Now, Lord, pour out the fire. May your spirit inflame these words so they go deep into our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we want to look first at the danger of freedom. Verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brethren. He says it again. Okay, Paul, we get it. We're called to freedom. (laughs) Only 
Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Now, I understand NIV says don't indulge the sinful nature. Let me explain a little bit. The NIV translates the word flesh as sinful nature. It's not a bad translation. Generally, in the New Testament, when it's, Paul uses the word flesh, he's talking about that independent spirit of ours, this humanity that wants to control our own lives and not trust God. That's the flesh. But notice the passage says in mine, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. That word opportunity is in the text, the original text. NIV doesn't show it. But literally that word is used as describing a, like a base camp, a foothold. Don't turn your freedom into a base camp or a foothold for the flesh, our independent sinful nature. What's he saying here? Well, let me explain this word a little bit, this Greek word, for opportunity or foothold. In World War II, the Germans had taken all of Europe. Nazis had control. The Allies were forced off the continent. If we were to defeat them, we would have to gain a foothold, a base camp, back in Europe. And so the Allies marshaled their forces, massive invasion fleet, and on D-Day, they invaded Normandy, northern France, at great cost, but it established a foothold from which the Allies could begin moving forward to take over Europe and eventually drive to Berlin and defeat Hitler. In essence, once that foothold was established, really the war was over. We were on our way. That's the word that's used here. That we have freedom in Christ. Isn't that great? And it's true. Whatever we do, God will forgive us. It will not be a barrier between us and him. Hallelujah. But, he says, but if you use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, to, to give the flesh a foothold in your life, to indulge it, it will continue to take over your life. Don't do it. He says, don't. Give that kind of opportunity in your life. It will cause harm. I don't know how many friends I've had, I've watched, people I've loved and been engaged with and involved with who gave the flesh that kind of foothold, who thought, even though they'd been in leadership, they'd been involved in ministry in the church for many years, they just got to a point of where they decided, you know, I just want to do this because it's going to feel right to me and whatever it might be, and they give the flesh a foothold. And the flesh begins to take more control and more control, and they get more and more enslaved, more and more broken. And I'm thinking one friend in particular, he said, you know, I know this is wrong, but I know that God will forgive me, right? God's grace is there. Well, in a sense, yes, that's true. But what he's neglecting is all the consequences that come with that, the destruction that comes with that. Paul says that's a misuse of freedom. And listen to verse 15. If, essentially I think what he's saying, if you give the flesh a foothold, if you bite 
and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. What's he saying? If you give the flesh a foothold, if you start giving in to those, that independent spirit, not trusting him but taking control of your own life because you want it for yourself, you become an animal. That's the picture we get in verse 15. You become a beast. You become someone who lives like an animal. Think of how animals live. They live by instinct. They live by what feels good. They live for survival. They live for themselves. And he says, if you bite and devour one another, when you live for the flesh, you start using other people for your own ends. You start devouring them. You become a user of other people. And then notice the end of the verse. It says, lest you become consumed by them. When you start becoming a user of other people, they eventually consume you. And your own life gets destroyed. Uh, This is really clearly seen, I think, in addictions, alcoholism, drug addiction. If you've had those kind of people in your life or you've struggled with that, you know what I mean. If you give in to that addiction, then you become a biter and devourer of other people. You become a user of other people. And you will manipulate and control for your own ends to get what you want all the time. But eventually you get consumed. Your life is destroyed. Well, the flesh is exactly like that. You give it a foothold, it begins to take control, and you become a user of other people. You become an animal. And it's destructive. So Paul says, don't. Use your freedom as a foothold for the flesh. And I don't know how many friends, like I was mentioning, who have done that, and eventually they end up in financial chaos, relational chaos, destroyed relationships, brokenness. It's inevitable because that's all the flesh can produce. It gives you promises, but it cannot deliver. That's the danger of freedom because yes God will forgive you and you can think because he can forgive me I can indulge the flesh Paul says don't do it he says instead understand the true purpose of freedom why has God set us free so we don't have to live by performance we don't have to live by the law we don't have to be live by the flesh he says the end of verse 13 instead through love serve one another that is the purpose of freedom, that we might learn to love, to live by love. You see, God set us free from the law so we could be free to love others well, to use our energy not to protect ourselves or to gain for ourselves, but rather I can use my life, my energy, my time, all that I am to bless others. He says through love to serve one another, to give my life away. You see, that's what freedom is for. We are free to not live for ourselves, but for others. And that, brothers and sisters, is true freedom. Of course, Jesus did this, and he commanded that, and he explained that's how he lived. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, verse 45. He came for that. We get to walk in his footsteps. 
And, and listen to verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think this is a marvelously ironic verse. Because the tendency for us is to be afraid of freedom, so I need the law. And if I follow the law, I'll be okay. I won't mess up. But notice what he says in verse 14. He says, It's those who don't try to live by law, but actually who learn to live by love. Focus on love. How can I bless you? How can I serve you? And that's our attitude towards other people that end up ultimately fulfilling the law. Isn't that ironic? But if you try to fulfill the law, you're going to end up in slavery and destruction. But if you seek to depend on him and live in love, you end up fulfilling the law. Amazing. Ironic. So what Paul is saying here is the answer to license, the risk of freedom, is not to go back to law, to try to follow the rules, to put more rules on a person. The answer is to move on to love, to giving our lives away. Don't go back to law, he says, but go on to love. You're free, but use your, op- your freedom as an opportunity, a base camp, for love to take hold of your life, where you begin to move out to love others around you in a more full and complete way. Let me try to explain this with an illustration. Imagine a fish, and you take that fish out of the constraints of the water, and you leave it out. You took it out of those constraints, right? So now is it free? No, it's dead. You see, there's no such thing. We tend to think of freedom as having no restraints. But that doesn't exist, folks. Real freedom is being able to be what we were created to be, to swim freely in the life of God, to depend on Him and out of that have the freedom to love other people. That is true freedom. It's the freedom to reflect God's character. He loves So when we are in relationship with him, we love because that's what he created us for. That's freedom. The freedom to be what we were always created to be. People who love one another. So he says, don't go back to law. Don't think that's the answer. It's not. In fact, that's going back to sin. Exactly what God has set us free from. So that's the purpose of the law. It's love. But how do we get there? How do we become loving people? How, how do we live in freedom in a way where we experience that freedom and don't experience slavery and being bound? He goes on to tell us. And essentially, if you want me to summarize it all, walk by the Spirit. That's what he focuses on. If you want to be free in Him, walk by the Spirit. Verse 16. But I say, Paul says, instead of giving into the flesh, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, I want you to notice what he says here. Walk by the Spirit. It means live in the sphere of the Spirit. Depend on the Spirit's life in you. Verse 18, skipping down a little bit. But if you are led by the Spirit... You're not under law. Here he uses another word to talk about what it means to walk in the Spirit. 
And, and the idea is that the Spirit's a little bit ahead of you, leading you through life. And you just need to keep your eyes on Him. Follow Him. It's, it's a game of follow the leader. That's how we're called to live as we walk in the Spirit. Jump down to verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's a good translation. NIV's great here. Keep in step with the Spirit. That's the idea of you're in a line and you are to be doing exactly what the person next to you is doing. He's your companion in this and you're following one another. So take these three together, these three words, descriptions Paul uses of walking in the Spirit. One is that the Spirit's in you and you're depending on Him. The other, He's in front of you and you're following everywhere He leads. The other, He's beside you as a companion and you are walking together, keeping in step together, cooperating together in life. And so Paul uses all of these to say, let me give you a taste of what I mean by walking the Spirit. It means believe the Spirit's in you and with you and in front of you and guiding you and keep your eyes on Him. Keep a living, vibrant, minute-by-minute relationship with Him. It's It's a living relationship. What is the Spirit? It's the life of Jesus in you. He's real. I read a recent survey that was really sobering to me. It was a survey that was taken of Christians throughout America. People who said, I'm a Christian. Now that includes mainline denominations and all kinds of nominal people. I understand that. But two-thirds of the people did not think the Holy Spirit was real. They said, well, he's some sort of this force kind of, but not, not real in the sense that it's part of the Trinity, a personality, who walks with us and lives with us, and, but is some sort of distant force. How confusing. How wrong. Look, folks, the Holy Spirit is alive. He's real. He lives in us. You read the Scriptures. He's our comforter. He comforts us. He prays for us. Romans 8. He walks with us. He accompanies us. He encourages us. He teaches us. He empowers us. He is the third person of the Trinity who God has planted in every believer's heart. And so Paul says, walk by the Spirit. You've got the resources of God. Now, live in that relationship. It's like a marriage. You live together and you, and you learn to walk together and share your life together. And he's saying that's the way it needs to be with the Spirit. You live your life together. You see, the way... To not live in the flesh, he says, notice this, he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So often we think we're struggling in an area of the flesh and we think the way to deal with that then is to try hard not to do that. You know, that's going back to performance. That's a little like saying, okay, I want all of you right now to not think of a pink elephant. Don't do it. Don't think of a pink elephant. The only way you can avoid doing that is think of something else. And he says, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. If you're focused on your relationship with God, knowing Him, trusting Him, walking with Him, then you know what? The flesh loses its power. But when we try hard not to do what the flesh tells us to do, we end up more enslaved and more controlled. This is a key verse for our Christian lives, folks. 
He says, walk in the Spirit. And then notice verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another that you may not do the thing that you please. We need to recognize there is a battle. The flesh is still here. The flesh really wants to undermine what the Spirit is doing in our lives so that we may not do what we want to do. Now, all through the Scripture in this book, elsewhere it's clear that we are new creations in Christ we have the spirit in us we are not the flesh anymore it's just hanging around but who we are is a new creation with the spirit in us but realize there is a battle I picture it this way it's like a herd of elephants and following it is a pack of hyenas and these hyenas are looking for a weak link, looking for a young or a sick elephant to separate from the group because there is no way they have any power over the group as a whole. And as long as those elephants are sticking together, there's not a problem. The hyenas can't get to them. But it's when they get weak and separated that they become susceptible to the attacks of the hyena. That's the way the flesh is. It's just hanging around. It has no power over us. And as long as we're staying close to Jesus, it can't get to us. But it's when we start trying to function independently that it begins to take control and get a foothold and begin to drag us down. Recognize there's a battle, but you know what? If you stay close to Jesus, it's not a problem, he says. Walk in the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. And then verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He just said, he reminds us again, and Paul loves to do this, don't go back to the law, walk in the Spirit. Don't resort to law-keeping, it can't get you where you want to go. Think about it for a minute. If I go back to performance, I'm struggling, okay, the battle's there. And I go back to, okay, I've got to try harder to do the right thing. All that does is put you in the flesh to try to use the flesh to defeat the flesh. Who's going to win? The flesh, right? <laughs> Either way, it's not going to get you where you want to go. No, the way to live in freedom, to be free of the power of the flesh, is to focus on your relationship with Jesus, the Spirit in you, and depend on Him. It is helpful for us to learn to recognize the deeds of the flesh. And that's why he gives us a list now of the deeds of the flesh. So that we can learn to recognize them so that when they begin to take over, we'll go, oh, that's the flesh. I don't have to live that way. I can turn back to Jesus. So let me just highlight some of these characteristics. There's four categories. He gives 15 characteristics of the flesh. We don't have time to explain every one, but let me give four categories. First category is the first three in these deeds of the flesh. I'll just title them sensuality. This is doing what feels good, even though often you know it's wrong. Living to feel good. Living to gratify yourself. Ultimately, not caring that much what others think, but being focused on, you know what, life's hard enough, I have enough struggles in my life, I need to feel good. So feeling good becomes important, most important, in your life. And let me say, as I thought about these categories, I think this is one that we Idahoans, 
are really guilty of. A lot of us moved here to Idaho because we wanted to be in a place where we could get away from it all, where we could spend weekends in the mountains and do all the things that make us feel good. Well, that's not wrong, except as it becomes something that we keep indulging and it gives a foothold in our life. It gets a foothold. Then we get into trouble. Second category is idolatry. Idolatry and sorcery, it says. These two really talk about spirituality apart from worshiping the true God. Spirituality on our terms. Now again, I think this is one that we in Idaho are pretty guilty of because we love to worship God in nature. Now that's okay if we're really worshiping the true God. But if we get it out in nature simply to worship the experience, that's idolatry. If we experience nature as the very hand of God and we give him all the credit and we delight in him and we don't need the experience but we thank him for it, etc., you know, it's a different way to look at it. The third category, there's eight characteristics listed here and it all has to do with conflict with others. Envy, jealousy, fits of rage, anger, dissensions, fighting. You see, the flesh always leads to this kind of thing. Dissension in relationships, broken relationships, conflict in relationships. The flesh loves to destroy unity and harmony. Let me ask you this. As you think about the people in your life that you struggle with, it may be a neighbor a roommate, family member, relative, co-worker, how do you view them? Do you view them with envy, jealousy, rage, anger, division, writing them off? Fine, if that's the way they want to be. That's all the flesh, folks. That's not the spirit. That's the flesh. Or do you look at them as an opportunity to share God's blessing and God's love? Lord, I don't like what they're doing to me, but Lord, show me a way to love them. Show me a way to demonstrate your care for them. Let me be a light for you even in this broken relationship or this difficult relationship or whatever. That's what the Spirit will lead you to do as you follow the Spirit. But the flesh divides. And the last two characteristics, drunkenness. Uh, I just put these in the category of partying, (laughs) carousing. Um, I think what this is, we could tie this into addictive behavior. Behavior that is the way you deal with pain. Do you turn to addictive behavior? Do you... Are you controlled by something else? Is it your anesthetic? Whatever it might be. Is it pornography or is it food or is it shopping or is it work? Are you a workaholic, etc.? Are these the ways you deal with pain? I think that fits in this category. And if the statistics are correct, close to half of the people in this room struggle significantly with an addiction. You know, Paul ends this with one of the most sobering 
verses or sections, statements in the scripture. And I don't want to mince words. I just want to say what it says. Verse 21, things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the word for practice means ongoing, continuous. We all struggle with the flesh. We all give in to envy. We all, you know, these characteristics of the flesh are things we battle and None of us trust God perfectly, and so we all fall into fleshly thinking, fleshly living at times. But what he's saying is if any of these things are regular, continual parts of your life, resentments you will not ever let go of, dissensions and division that you won't let God touch, living for yourself no matter what God says, what the verse says and I don't know how to read it any other way. You're not a believer and you're headed for hell. You won't inherit the kingdom of God if your practice is to live by the flesh. And you're not learning to give things to the Spirit over time more and more. And the fruit of the Spirit isn't coming out, but the deeds of the flesh continue to control you then maybe the Spirit is not in you. You have not repented fully and given your life to Him. There's no other way to read it, folks. So I challenge you to evaluate your own life today. Don't be deceived any longer if that's where you fall. Jesus has open arms. He'll welcome you if you will turn away from that and give your life to Him. We need to be willing to recognize the deeds of the flesh But he goes on now to say, but here's the glory of what God's doing in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit. Marvelous description of if the Spirit's in you, these are the things that will begin to bear fruit in your life. Now, think about what that picture of fruit, the deeds of the flesh are what we do. The fruit of the Spirit is what he does. He produces in us a tree doesn't work hard to produce fruit. It just stays in the soil, draws nutrients and life out of the soil, and then fruit just naturally results. And he's saying, if you stay close to the Spirit, you're led by the Spirit, you're fostering that relationship with Jesus, and that's what you're focusing on for your Christian life, reading, praying, encouraging one another in your walks with God, then you will begin to bear these fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Nine traits he gives here. And again, we don't have time to spend a lot of time on them. He begins with love because that's most important. He's already made that clear. Three categories I want to mention. The first three are attitudes, love, joy, peace. They come out of knowing that God loves you. I'm secure in his love. Therefore, I have peace, joy. And I can give my life away in love. The next three are relational qualities. Patience, kindness, goodness. You need these when people are a pain around you. And they are. (laughs) Patience. So that you endure even when it's hard. And you treat them with kindness instead of retaliation. And you are good to them. Generous. Being good. That's what the Spirit produces in your life. The last three, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are character qualities. 
that describe an inner strength, integrity. People can count on you. And you respond to them with self-control. In contrast to the flesh, self-control is choosing to do what's right even when you don't feel like it. The flesh says, I need to feel good. The spirit says, you can have self-control. I will bring it as a fruit in your life as you stay close to me so that you can choose to do what's right even when you don't feel like it. You see, all of these descriptions are merely descriptions of who? Jesus. He works in our lives to make us like him. All of us in our unique way, in our different perspective, he produces these in our lives. And he ends with just some reminders to us, but I love verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He wants us to remember that the flesh has no power over a true believer. Yes, it will attack us. Yes, it will drag us down. And yes, you'll be tempted by the flesh, by bad thoughts and envy and all that, but, it's, but it has, you don't have to listen to it. You do not have to live by the flesh because you have crucified the flesh. When you were united with Jesus on that cross, when you put your faith in him, as Paul said back in chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. His life in me. That's how I live now. I don't have to depend on the flesh. Help me to focus on you. And that's really the exhortation of this passage. You want to live in freedom? I hope so. I do. It comes not by working hard. It comes by focusing on Him, depending on Him, fostering your relationship with Jesus, a living, vibrant, minute-by-minute relationship with Him, and the fruit of the Spirit will begin to be produced in your life in a beautiful way as a natural result of being in relationship with the living God. We want to celebrate what He's done now. We want to take communion together to celebrate how We have been united with him on the cross. Therefore, we are set free. We have freedom in him. Freedom not to indulge the sinful nature, but freedom to love. So let me begin with prayer as the men come forward, and then we'll take communion together to celebrate what he's done. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we are free. We are truly free to live in relationship with you. To live in love towards one another. And Lord, help us to stay close to you that your life might be evident in us. We thank you that all this is possible because of the cross. Because of what you did in dying for us and giving your life for us and substituting yourself for us when we should have died because of our sin. You took our sin and you gave us your spirit that we have your life now to depend on. So, Lord, we celebrate that now as we take this bread, this cup, as we feast together, we do so in celebration of you because of what you have done for us. Lord, we confess that we're sinners. We confess that we so often 
give the flesh a foothold in our lives. But thank you that you have forgiven us through the cross. May we live in that forgiveness and the joy and the security of your love for us. May we live in that freedom. So, Lord, as we now take this feast together, let it be not just a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice, but let it be a reminder to us that your life was given for us and your life is now placed in us. And may we live in that life. And thank you that this meal as well is a foretaste of the great feast we will have when we go to be with you. In community together, celebrating, worshiping you in your presence. What a great day that will be. So we celebrate that now in Jesus' precious name as our Savior. Amen. I'll pass, we'll pass out the bread and the cup and uh, we'll take it together. I will lead you. If you're new to Cole, if you're a visitor, you're welcome to join us. If you know Jesus Christ, if you feel like you're unsure, you haven't made that commitment to Jesus yet, uh, I encourage you to just pass the elements by and uh, come talk to me, come talk to somebody, one of the elders, one of the staff afterwards. Set us free. Free to love him, free to love one another. So on the night he was betrayed, he took bread as he gathered with his disciples around that meal and he broke the bread and he wanted them to do this and all his followers throughout eternity to remember what he did for us that our life our freedom is based on what he did for us this is Christ's body given for you so often in scripture wine the cup represents joy represents the life of the Spirit. So as we take this, it's a reminder that His life is poured into us. He lives in us. So we can depend on Him. We can walk with Him. We can be led by Him. We can keep in step with Him. So after supper, Jesus took the cup also, gathered with His disciples, His last earthly meal with them, and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.